This is the Director's Podcast with Jeff T. Thomas, Part 2. Like, what's your, what's your process from the moment you get the script or the concept and you write the script and you take it to, you know, the moment you're shooting it compared to... To then. You know, to then. Yeah. It's very different. Like, I'm, I'm sure, like, you're the same, right? Like, like, I'm sure it's worlds away from where you started, right? In sure. terms of how yeah. you go about something. But one of the short films I did when I was... I, I want to say this is before I did the tournament trailer around. It was like, it, I remember I got into this habit where... I, I got into the thing that I just mentioned, actually, where you always feel like, oh, I'm going to do my next film when I can afford film and I'm going to do this big thing and I'm going to do all the, you know, you put those hurdles of like, I've got to do something bigger and better to progress. Um, I remember, um, uh, it actually was my granddad died, really, and I remember cleaning out his house and someone, I can't remember the, the link of it, but it was something like someone said, hey, do you want to just enter this like short film festival? It's a 48 hour film challenge where you can just do a film. And I was thinking, God, that sounds like a nightmare, making a film from start to finish in 40 hours sounds horrendous. But, but I was like, fuck it, like, my granddad just died. Like, well, what's, what's the harm? Like, everyone's got 40 hours, everyone's on the same thing. Like, fuck it. Yeah. Um, and weirdly, that 40 hour film, like, it had, like, we ended up winning the regional one, get the finals or something. It was like, it turned out great. And it, and it, but it forced me as a filmmaker. It was like the first time when I was like, right, I've got time to decide shot for shot what it is, or I've got time to kind of imagine all these things, which, I think early on, I would have thought, oh, what's the best shot for this bit? What's the best shot for that bit? Um, it was more like, how do I tell the story? And I think and I think that's a different mindset, right? If you just think about the minimalist way to cover that element of story, I think that is probably even now how I start approaching everything. So I'll look at a scene now. Like, the, yeah, back then I'll probably list it shot for shot and I'll break it down. And it makes it more daunting for you, right? If you think, all right, mm -hmm. I want to see this in that shot, see that in that shot. I would think, like, I would be thinking where I'd, where, and how I'd want the camera to cut and what the result would be. And and that took a lot longer. And I did that in the tournament. And and I ended up kind of being... Um, it, it's stressful because that's not actually a good way, I don't think, necessarily. of Like, it's good in one way that you get these shots that you imagine and some of them are nice but it's not very efficient. Whereas I think what I transferred to do more was, um, I, I, I remember, I think Danny Boyle said this. He said like, look at a scene and look at the minimal. If you could only do like one shot, how would you play that scene out? You know, like, and what's, what is that? You know I mean? The minimum version of it and start there and then kind of build around it and see what, what you can get out of that first setup and then look at like what you really need to kind of cut into it. And, and I think that's what I do now. I look at it like, I, I look at it more like on a coverage point of view to tell the story, what do I really need to do? Um, but I don't know, it's a weird one, isn't it, Jeff? I, like, stay in the process. I think now, like, I, I, like, cause I'm prepping a film right now, right? And I, and I think this I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like look at the script and see in my mind what the kind of general aesthetic tone of what I want it to be. Not not massively specific, like not like, oh, I want this to be like an 18 that creeps up this thing and meets them there. I kind of like look at it more like, I'd like this scene to, if it's to do something for the scene, like I want this one to be kind of like, 
uh, intimate in their space or whatever, right? I'd look at like how to cover that and achieve that, I suppose. Or I want this one to feel, to give us a respite of like a wide, lonely thing. Then, then that kind of feeds into my thought of how to cover it. Um, and when you and when you are shooting, how much of that uh, changes uh, on the day? Um, is it? You know? Yeah, I think. Uh, I think with action, it usually has to be very well planned in terms of, I think there's just not enough time normally to do good action. I think I've never been in a shoot really where there's been a, like, you know, like a studio level time frame where you can kind of shoot what you want ultimately. I've always been on those shoots of independent shoots where you don't have enough time. And if you want to make it look really good, you have a very tight time frame to achieve that. So I, I've tended to find that action, I have to kind of, think about that thing of yeah what's my setups to make this work like like to so i'm, I'm going to end up in the edit with the with the components i need and then i usually have to kill half of those babies because i'm never going to get them and i i try and make those compromises on my shot list before i get to a, to an action sequence thinking well i'll probably capture that beat in this setup and if I don't, I'm going to have to add an extra special pickup for that moment and shit like that, you know. So I try and I try and break action down into specific beats that I'll need to read, read and register and edit. But I'll try my very best to let as much of the scene play out as I can, because I know that like I'm going to capture twice as much good shit that I didn't plan for that just naturally happens, um, as opposed to what I specifically think I'll get. Um, whereas, yeah, before that. I think I, I I really kind of yeah early on I would try and do it shot for shot and that's kind of yeah it, it's it's not very efficient really is it if you're trying to think about everything. I think that's inexperience. You know, yeah, it is. You yeah. Do it shot for shot when you when you're talking about like sure when you're on set you know you can have those lens conversations you know or, yeah you know it should be an 18 or a 25 or whatever that lens is but yeah you know if you're scouting and you're using that. Yeah, you know, terminology. I don't think you're really reacting to what's going on. Yeah, you're you're forcing the action into the shot as opposed to making the yeah. shot work for the action. I yeah, think that's uh, yeah. You're right. I think it's two completely different things. Yeah, and know, it's true. Uh, yeah, two different types of movies. And, and I think that's true on early films, right? Early short films look often look that way. They'll have this kind of wonky aesthetic. Yeah, and I think that's that's because of that. Yeah, you think. Because you see films, finished films, and you think, all right, I want these, you know, you look at Terminator 2, or you look at Aliens, or you look at whatever film you're referencing, right? And you'll be like, oh, it's got this, then it goes to that, then it goes to that. Whereas I think the more experience, as you kind of discover on set where you're shooting, you realize, oh, actually, that setup will cover me for all these medium shots of that character, and it, I can incorporate this piece of it, that piece of it. And um, yeah, so I guess, I guess now, I think like you, having been on set with you, I think, there's more confidence, right? You like play a scene out, try and get it to work so the characters and all the blocking is real, and then look at that scene and decide how best to cover it um, given the parameters you've got to construct. Yeah. And then you can always have your special shots, you know, yeah. as well, that you yeah. can, you know, put in at the end as well. Yeah. The beginning, however you want uh, to do uh, But then again, maybe, what do we know? Right? <laughs> of like, maybe like the way to do it, is not that like I I, I don't I, I'd be interesting and I'd be very curious like when you talk to people like what the different processes are and whether whether there's a difference as well with TV and film because I feel like film tends to be probably more of a dismantled process whereas TV is born out of efficiency 
and and that for sure yeah well you just have to watch anything that Spielberg does I mean it's the yeah. way he uses the proscenium you know and yeah. has one actor walk into one thing and what you know walk into I mean it depends on tonally if the project suits that style yeah yeah or you know you you, you know you wouldn't shoot like a Francois Truffaut movie that way yeah, yeah you know yeah. there's two completely different things yeah so. totally yeah. You know, Kira Kurosawa, they're all, everybody, you know, yeah. you've got to find, going back to what you were talking about earlier, what represents you yep. and your sensibility. Yeah. And, I, and make that sing. Really. Yeah. And I think the truth is, there's also like a secret power thing where if you, the other part of like independent filmmaking that I think I, I've come to realize at least is the more, the, the, there's, there's some advanced, secret advantages of efficiencies, right? If you shoot, if you, consciously choose to shoot something in a more efficient way and save a bit of time say here on an action movie right and shoot like know that you can shoot that scene like you know in how you might if it was a tv scene but know that it's still gonna look like world class as as that anyway right because certain kind of scenes just naturally play out and that's where um if you know you can get away with that and more efficiently shoot this and it might not be it might not be the way that uh, Scorsese is going to do that scene, but it'll it'll still tell the story and still do it, its worth. And then you have and you kind of save your kind of powder to all your resources for other parts of it. What you can then do is like achieve little miracles where you're making like a film that looks a lot bigger than it does for a lot mm-hmm. less. And and what I've discovered is that if you do that, it as without sounding pretentious, it's like as an artist you get a lot more control. Like there is if if you if you, you know, really, people fear spending money, and and if you can do, it's like what I noticed when I did Final Score. Actually, I I, I felt like that's a film that that kind of tries to position itself as a middle, uh, like a middle budget film, but it's really for very little money, right? So a lot of pressure falls on, say, my shoulders to deliver that film to not, you know, so it looks bigger than it really is. Um, but I also noticed because of that and because it's independent and because you kind of have, because everyone almost has to trust you that you're going to deliver that film to look a certain way, it also gives you more freedom to do things that that you wouldn't normally be able to do. So like, like any controversial jokes or kind of like a tone, you get a bit more, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot more kind of, um, uh, you can make it, you can really make it more yours and you're less behest of like a studio or all these outside parties that would normally partake. If, if, if I was doing Final Scores at a studio movie and it was really like $30 million, there is no way I would have been getting sign off on certain things during that movie. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and, um, and so you kind of, there's a creative advantage on the other side of a compromised budget that actually I've learned is like, you know, embrace that and go for that and be the one, you know, do the controversial thing sometimes that is different because you have a chance to do that in that environment. Yeah, exactly. Where you wouldn't if it was a studio. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, and I don't know, I don't know about you, but I like, never say never, but, but, but the way that certainly tent poles are going and the way like, like it would have been a dream come true. And I'll, I'll say this with a caveat that if anyone asked me to do Star Wars, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But <laughs> I like, I, that used to be my dream, right? That would be my dream where it's like, oh God, I'd love to direct Star Wars or something cool like that. I honestly don't have that dream anymore because I feel like that process of delivering a film like that 
I would like to be part of that team, sure, and I think it will be an interesting experience. But it's definitely not your film. It's not like it's George mm -hmm. Lucas, you know, not like George Lucas did it, and not like Spielberg did any of his films or Cameron did any of his films. That you, you are not, you know, it's really a very different gig, and it's um, and they do a great job of them, and the producers and everyone involved does a great job. But 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 if you compare that to like a Matthew Vaughan who will do his own movie, uh, it, you know, in his own version, that's I'd rather be in that camp than. Than, yeah, you know, yeah, be that yeah. big studio kind of coverage camp that seems to be happening. Um, a friend of mine was talking to a DP in one of those movies and um, he was asking him what the experience was like. And he said, well, we walked into the set, you know, it was one of those big studio films, walked into the set and we, we you know, we looked at the shot and I said, you know, maybe, you know, a 32 mil is better than a 40 here yeah, because, you know, you get, be a lot closer, yeah. more intimate, intimate with the actors, <laughs> yeah. what have you. And um, and the director had to stop him and say, well, actually, it's got to be 40 mil because that's what we budgeted for. Because, of course, it's not just shooting the actor, you're shooting the multi-layers of the yeah. you know, special effects that's taking place beyond the green screen and everything else. And then it's so like, yeah, it's depressing. It's, right? uh, you know, you do lose a lot of creativity in, yeah. in those situations, but then, you know, you gain it in many other places as well, because you mm. get to do things that, you know, that you don't normally get to do. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Like I say, if you, if, you know, if, you wanna, if my phone rings and it's Star Wars, I'm hardly going to be saying, no thanks, I, I want more. I want more creative freedom. I'll be like, no, I'll be straight <laughs> on the, uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'll be straight on the Millennium yeah. Falcon. But um, I, uh, but yeah, but it, but it's, but it's interesting. I think filmmaking's turning a corner in that, like, there's definitely going to be, like, I really believe that that like content's gone through this strange thing where it's trying to kind of balance itself out in terms of theatrical and streaming and DVD, you know, and every kind of the exhibiting of stuff is 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 at a point now where people want people want new content you can't just keep recycling everything but i would love like if you look at the 90s for movies like what movies came out in the 90s and what ground was broken and all this you know because I, I think the truth is like stories like that's how you know films are good for spreading for spreading and understanding kind of cultural complexities and exploring kind of you know uh, the human aspects of everything ultimately right despite the candy wrapper of nonsense that we put everything in and i think um uh, it, it, it's a great way to to um, understand one another properly, and I think that's yeah. If we if we can do that, that's the good thing about films, right? We can do that. We can all all uh, all, all all be in a better place than maybe than maybe today. <laughs> but, uh, Wouldn't be too difficult. No, I don't. Know, the bar is freaking low on it, man. But um, yeah, but. Um, uh, so yeah, let's, let's, let's just jump back to a couple of things. Yes. So, so let's just think. So um, you know, you've obviously directed two more movies. You yep. have another movie. You've produced uh, two movies. One with Bruce Willis. The other one being Mara. Yeah, yeah. Your horror movie. Um, for working on a on a film with Bruce Willis was a horror movie for me. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruce. tell me. So what are you know yeah. uh, you know ups and downs? What are your oh, yeah. most memorable moments? If you had to handpick like three moments out of those, okay. you know experiences. Four, uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, look, an up, a huge up was working with De Niro. I would say working with Robert De Niro and the experience of that was incredible. Like I, I, um, and I was hugely fortunate. I was like in this slump of not having not done a movie since tournament. I got, I kept kind of, 
turning down a lot of things that and because initially like you come into you get signed with an agent you go through this thing of like you're the hot stuff but you don't realize you're the hot stuff or, or you've got heat but you don't realize you've got heat right and and so i i was kind of like i, I was looking for the perfect project that was everything that was wrong with the tournament or the opposite of what was wrong with the tournament and um uh and i and i tried to and I just couldn't find it because there's no such thing as a perfect project. And I also didn't really know what I was looking for. Um, and then eventually, yeah, I, I got this script where I was told De Niro was uh, looking to do it, but he wanted to talk to the director. Um, I think Lionsgate just fired the director that was planned to be on it because they didn't like his last film, maybe. And then... Um, it's uh, a good start. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and would do you want to put your hat in the ring? Um, and basically, are you interested in, you know, if you're interested in the movie, would you be able to talk to Robert De Niro on the phone? And, and immediately was like, I think I just want to talk to Robert De Niro on the yeah. phone. It doesn't matter what the script's <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, it's a bucket list thing to do. It's like, I absolutely want to talk to De Niro. Of course, it's Skype with De Niro actually was. And, um, and I read the script and I remember thinking, like that, I liked a lot about the script, but I remember De Niro's part was was really not was really not very well developed, let's say. And I was like, and I remember saying, I I really think this part like it feels like it's been shoehorned in, like honestly, like De Niro's part. It feels like it's been like you know roughed in in a way that doesn't tie into the rest of the movie. And and I'll be honest, I don't think De Niro's going to do it. I really don't think he's going to do it. And um, and they were like, well, he wants to do the call, so do you want to do the call? And I was like. Sure, okay, and but does everyone, what's everyone like with the script? And like, well, they're happy to change it if anyone wants to change it, but you know, however. And um, and I remember thinking, like, and petrified to speak to De Niro because it's Robert De Niro, right? And in terms of being starstruck, it's like you can't get bigger, I think. And I remember waiting for him to Skype me and uh, and, and and just sat by my computer, kind of in a shirt, like thinking, what's my background image looking like? And what's he going to think? And all these things, I'm sweating <laughs> profusely. And um, and uh, and he befriends me and there's this Skype address. And then and then, uh, and then it rings and it's doot, 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 doot. And, um, uh, and, and I answer it. And he's there in a hotel room in Washington. Um, and he uh, and he's clearly just reading the script, like probably for the first time, I'm guessing, right? And uh, and we say hello, and we say hello, and then he's like, "Yeah, Scott, I don't really want to waste your time, you know. I I kind of because I, I'll be honest, I, I reread the script, and I'm I don't think I'm going to do this project. And so he immediately like, starts off with like, "I don't want to do this," and I was. And I didn't know what to say. And in one hand, I had the producer in my ear who'd kind of hammered down the phone like earlier that day saying, just tell him you love it. Tell him it's going to be great. Tell him it's going to be brilliant. Just make sure he does the film. And in my other mind, I was just like, he's totally right. And I don't want, <laughs> I don't want, don't want to argue. So in the end, I opened for honesty. And I said, I'll be honest. I don't blame you. I thought the same thing when I read it. Like, I think the character's kind of clearly been adjusted and isn't working and there's a there's all kinds of problems with it it's pretty you know i, I don't blame you to what I, I i don't think you should and um and he kind of laughed and then we talked and and then i pitched him i guess we got talking and i pitched him a version that i thought that i liked that was honest from my point of view which was actually about how much you sacrifice you do sacrifices and how they catch up to you in the end and it was actually really about how much I'd sacrificed during the tournament, not to not to make it all about me and my film career, but it was it was about all. The, I felt like I'd sacrificed so much on the tournament, and I'd kind of missed out on like family stuff, and now and especially now I had kids, I was missing the kids whenever I was doing film stuff, and it was really like a, a heavy price to pay for for your for something else that you kind of 
do career-wise. And I um, and I told him I thought it'd be interesting to do that as a character story and, and something that's about fatherhood ultimately. And we got talking and I think he had similar views and he really liked it. And at the end of that call, he basically said like, look, I'd love to work on this further. Like it, I'm going to be in New York on Tuesday, this was like Sunday. Like, do you think there's any chance you could, uh, could, could get to New York and we can work on it together at my place, my office? And, um, and I was like, let me just check my calendar. Yeah. I'm having a child born, but don't worry about that. Um, so, so yeah, so I flew out there, and I remember, and I remember as a turning point, it was like I was really nervous to see him, obviously, because it's Robert De Niro. Even though I'd spoke to him, I was still like, oh my god, I'm in New York. I'm about to sit down with De Niro in his office and work through this like character and story, um, and uh, and to the point where like I, I even then I, I I didn't have that much confidence. I, I remember being outside his office really early because I was jet you know on the jet lag time thing having a bagel in that in the in the in the breakfast shop opposite Tribeca and um and it was like nine o'clock and I only had a shirt and stuff I didn't and it was raining I remember anyway I nip across the street and I go to the bit you know the entrance of Tribeca film and a guy behind the counter is there he's like who are you here to see you know in the New York kind of like confident way and I'm like yeah, I've got a nine o'clock with Mr. De Niro and he looked at me and he went no one's up there clear out basically give me the nod to get get the hell out of there and i was like oh, oh okay and so i ended up walking down like the street in the rain and i like been kicked out by the doorman and i was like oh man this didn't go well and um and then i get a call from the agencies and they're like oh there's been a mix-up and then i go back and and i meet bob uh like in his office and he and i give him a hug and i remember when i hugged him he was so soft and cuddly and lovely that it was like he was just like he was just like he was just like me like he was like my dad or something you know what I mean and it was were you dripping wet uh, yes I was soggy <laughs> <laughs> it was like sorry I'm soggy Bob um, uh, but uh, no he was so lovely and welcome and just so normal and he clearly knew how to handle people to not not kind of you know to make people feel comfortable he was just a nice guy and um, and it just got rid of me being starstruck but that the development of that script with him to to really like carve the character and make it work was you know i was obviously petrified i was even like nervous when he phoned from then that was still like a nervous thing of like it's just he's so kind of high caliber that it's you know you full with fear and then i think anyone who isn't is is not being honest about it right so um uh, but but as you work through that and you work with someone, you realise they just got the same endeavour that you're searching for, right? Which is to do something good and uh, not have it suck, ideally. So so he was um, very gracious, and the whole experience of doing a film with him, he just he just put a hundred and you know two hundred percent of what he should have done uh, or what he needed to do because he really wanted to work. And I and I found. Yeah, that was great. That was a great experience. And he really, and he made me think about character. He, he honestly made me think from that point forward, every script I've ever worked on, I thought, okay, if Bob was reading this, how would he look at that character? And what, what, you know, what's interesting about that character? And I think if you look through the characters in the script, through the prism of the actor playing them and think that way, it really helps you, um, uh, yeah, really focus on whether you've got it, got it there or not. <laughs> I do that when I'm blocking, actually, yeah. when I'm shooting a TV show, yeah, because I've worked many times on this one show and this one very experienced actor used to go, so what if I do it this way? And, you yeah. know, because he would come in, he obviously had his uh, way of doing things as well. I like so how you're not I naming to... anyone here. You're being very yeah. anonymous here, Jeff. <laughs> you got to be more dangerous, Jeff. Just tell us who it is. Come on, baby. 
<laughs> so I would work out how I wanted to do it yeah. or how I thought it should be done when I read the script right. or what I thought this actor and what I thought everybody, you know, how they would react to the situation yeah. in a place where I would go in often with like three different ways of blocking a, a really? scene. Um, and then, of course, you know, when like when we did the oath, that yeah. we worked against that, you know, in a completely different way because that kind of fed into the style of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's uh, it's interesting that you you say that about uh, you know what what's that actor getting out of that role yeah. if they're reading that script, so, they're looking yeah. at their role and they're looking at how viable it is. And, to, and they're, they're reading, how important yeah, it is. they're reading three things: the role, the viability, and the check. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. decide which one. The check comes first. Yeah, absolutely. That's what Liam Cunning used to say. So the first thing I read, I just have to read the check. That's the thing. It's, uh, but yeah, but I think that, that yeah, no, it's totally. And, you, and it helps you, right? Like you try and hold on to that and say like, okay, that's a good way of learning that. And 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 weirdly that, you know, like I say, I, it's, it, um, even though I coin it in a, it's a writing thing, it, again, like you say with the blocking and everything, it's really, if you really think about, you know, characters, you know, characters are a part, are integral, obviously, telling your story and they're ugly more important in a lot of ways than the story itself. So I think you, um, uh, yeah, if you force yourself into those perspectives, it really helps. And and I would, and did you find, like, I don't know if you find this, but I found, like, I found myself nervous to really let myself into those places of acting. So, like, as an actor, I, I like, even writing actually when i was just directing i'd look at like i'd be scared of writers writing like they have a magical power because i didn't understand it and then when i realized oh actually no it's kind of it's just it's an extension it's a you know uh, like writing and editing are really just like filmmaking it's just another kind of uh uh position of filmmaking and and um and the same with acting like like the best actors that I've worked with, and I've been very lucky to work with some really good ones, they are storytellers. They know how to tell a story, just like we're trying to do as directors and writers are trying to do as writers. And, and I think that is what, um, yeah. And, and, and because you're all trying to tell a story, if you all try it, it, it makes it easier to get in each other's kind of lane, in a sense, just to get that perspective of it, is to say, right, we're telling the story and to tell the story you need to do this and we need to do this and 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 i think the more you talk about it or i found the more i talk about it in that detail and that level of like rather than going back to the thing about camera stuff actually rather than tell tell rather than trying to tell an actor how to act it's like what is the intention we're trying to to make from this scene or this moment right and and is it reading is a question i think the director should be answering right like is it reading that am i reading that and it might be disagreement between you and the actor you the actor might think it's readable just like i've seen people yeah i've had it next you know next to a, like a monitor with someone saying like yeah i got it and i'll be like mm, i don't know if you got it it's like it's like and it's a hard thing to well, because they're reading something in the, into it that you can't necessarily see. Yeah. But it's like De Niro. He's a very reactive actor. Like, he, he really feeds off his environment and the scene as a whole. So I found that, like, he, you know, and what that does is it kind of brings the whole thing to life and the whole thing needs to work. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one's telling De Niro to raise an eyebrow and look surprised, are they? It's like you've got to kind of help him feel surprised so the camera registers that he's surprised right if that's the way you're doing it so and i think he um and that honesty is and and 
that's what people tap into and that's why he's such a great performer it's like you you do it reflects that off you doesn't it like the and i think um yeah it, it's it's a very interesting and, and then actually to go to to a more to a worse story like if you want to bring up bruce willis um as a as, as a contender on that one um i think um yeah no i i, I kind of like i i think one of the you know on the flip of all that is like the the and i'm going to say this with the caveat of everyone has their own kind of thing they do and for all the different reasons and people make you know and, and making any film is a joy in a sense and a privilege right so like that you know that's all there but um my experience of 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 bruce unfortunately was he he kind of riffs from doing like he i don't know, like let's be honest one of the best films, uh, one of my favorite films, I mean, it's Die Hard, right? So it's like, so seeing John, Bruce's John McClane naturally puts you in that place of like, he's a hero and and he's probably a hero for many people and it's probably hard for him to really be that person for, for everyone forever, right? Or, or play at that level. But um, but yeah, I had, a, I had a poor experience in that clearly he didn't really want to be in the movie that I, I was producing and... Uh, and Bruce came in, and he's basically got this setup where he comes in to to essentially like uh, as a component, essential component of the film, coming in to star stunt casting. So essentially, Bruce will roll in, he'll do a couple of days, um, and it's kind of the extreme end of like capitalist movie making, right? In the Obviously, expensive stars tend to kind of get squeezed on days to try and make it cheap enough to, can, or, or, well, not cheap, but affordable enough that you can have that star in your movie. And so the bigger the star, the less days they'll naturally have, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of the, the, the economics of making a film. But but when it gets to Bruce, he kind of got a, a, a system down and he'll come along for one day and then they'll shoot it in a way where he can act like 20 minutes of movie but then that then you'll spend a week after that with a bruce double to kind of fill in the gaps and shoot the rest of the scenes it's like right, it's right. a horrible way to make a movie yeah, and uh yeah. and bruce came and i kind of you know and you always have high hopes that your dreams aren't going to be shattered but when he got there it quickly became apparent he had never read the script once before flying in on his private jet um and he he literally like read from like yeah he'd requested these guys come in with a monitor and he literally would read off the monitor the dialogue kind of for the first time ever and uh and that's when he was discovering the dialogue and so like it couldn't be more phoned in and and uh and it was just depressing and it just and it has this kind of poisonous effect on the on on the on everyone as a whole on the on the crew sadly because and the cast because you know someone really doesn't give a shit at that level um because he really didn't give a shit and i and i don't know whether there's some reverse psychology that that maybe he tries to bomb movies that he's playing those kind of parts in and separate them from his higher level movies where he actually does do a good job i I wonder that but but it was but as a filmmaker involved in that process and someone who loved the original material uh, and and working with like you know directors and people who really care about it it's very depressing to have someone do that on a movie and again it comes back to this point of like like you've got to be careful with people's feelings and not just be like if you just go the kind of full commercial capitalist route you're kind of you're stabbing people you know i mean you're hurting people and and their love of it all and and it's very um 
yeah and so that experience was depressing like it was all what a shame yeah he can be so great when he wants to be yeah when he can be bothered to be i don't know and like m night Shyamalan tends to get a great performance out of him right so and I, and I, and again I, I think he has done some great performances but and look the guys it's his life he can if he wants to do that it's, it's his choice and if people pay him three million to go in for a day you know who can blame him but um but it you know you it's a shame and i think you just gotta kind of and that's why like the more honest everyone is up front on a movie of what you're asking of everyone and what you're agreeing to the better right because then then you're getting hopefully what you plan for um and uh yeah and you'll be able to make something good but um yeah so there you go one 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 good one 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 happy story one sad one jeff I, I don't know if yeah. No, that's perfect. All right. Well, this takes us to our final part of our show. Okay. Now, um, you know, for our listeners that you've kind of answered this already, but you know, for the people that yeah. do want to try to get into the business who might be just leaving school yeah. or have aspirations to maybe be a cameraman and then a director or they don't quite understand. I mean, what, what would you say to them? Would you suggest that going to film school is a good option or um, just making shorts or how yeah. is it different now to the way it was when you were starting? Out? Yeah, I think I think now, I'll, I'll be honest, I think now is amazing. Like I, I, I would love to have grown up in the now time of filmmaking because the, 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 the access to tools that you have is at such a level and even like visual language filmmaking just generally baked into everyday life with things like TikTok and everything like you you it's a different you know I, I think you're gonna we're gonna end up having incredible filmmakers come out of this period right who of people who want to do films because they're just from from you know being born you have access to kind of video cameras and you know what I mean and and again they're like after effects yeah all the, all the stuff that we didn't have at that age. yeah the things that didn't really you know weren't easy to come by but I, I would say that um yeah the biggest thing for sure which I, I yeah I, I think is it, it you know obviously obviously you know watching films and getting involved with anything you know and like all that you know I, I imagine if you want to be a filmmaker or portioned in the process you you would love doing it make sure you know if you genuinely love doing it then the biggest thing is just doing it is making films because i think i think the i think what comes out just making films with whatever you have leads to exercising them the exercising the muscles skills and craftsmanship that is hard to which is really hard for even a film school to, to understand and explain you know what i mean so all the things that you'll pick up between just just by just, just just seeing what emotional effect something has on people by kind of putting it together even if it's done like in crappy light and all that kind of stuff and, and, and you know what i mean with with non-actors and you're like oh god this could be awful but just don't be afraid to fail basically because i think i think in in just being not afraid to do it you know just going forward and doing it um just do it basically because you can't there's no you know just don't be afraid of yourself failing and then i think that progresses you onward in much bigger steps and 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 the fear stops most people that's the difference between i think kind of filmmakers uh, that make it and don't is like the ones that were too scared uh, or insecure or egos were 
and and that's the thing. If you've got a big ego, there's a risk that you are scared to, to, of. You know, it creates your own problem, right? But if you, um, yeah, I think if it, that just filmmaking is the way to do it. And like, again, anything. I know people say it and, and they ignore it, and I probably would ignore it if I was a kid. If someone said to me, "Oh, just use," if you know, just use like paper drawings or use. Uh, crappy camera and all this stuff like you kind of think oh no that's not the way but it actually is because you do you do 10 films and I'll guarantee that 11th is is many times better than the first and yeah and so I think yeah through it's just like exercising the muscle I think just do it and that's that's what I would say to anyone and don't use the excuse just 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 dive yourself in and you'll get out of it and don't don't worry so much and then that's the way to do it I went for a talk with James Cameron um, in London years ago and somebody asked him the same question. He said, uh, take the word aspiring out of filmmaker. Yeah. Because if you just start making films, no matter what the budget, yeah. you're a filmmaker. Yeah. Whether you're making it for $10, yeah. you know, or $10 million. Yeah. Um, and just from them, you're negotiating your budget. Yeah, that's yeah, you know, that's that's that's, 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 that's weird better advice, right? <laughs> that's how Richard said. But yeah, he, yeah, but that's that's true though, isn't it? It's like you are you are filmmaking, and that's the reality. No, but but I think I think what your point is very um, important because a lot of people want to. I think a lot of people trying to get into the business want to make a great short film, mm. and that might stop them from making the short film yep. or it might take them, you know, they might be trying to raise money, which seems crazy for a short film, yep. you know, yeah. you could put a short film together for nearly nothing now. Yeah. Um, but rather than looking at the experiences you might get from making nine bad short films, yeah. and learning from it, because the process should be as important, if not more important than the end result. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then the end result will come from that. Yeah, so. yeah. Then you don't like the a, the fearful part is you don't know where the end result is, right? And I think you, you know, yeah. and I think people are scared to, um, like, it's a combination of scariness and also if you if you believe you have a natural talent, you're scared to not have that be true. And I I think like I think pe when people say they have a natural talent, do they have a natural? Like, yes, you can be attuned to something, but. But I tend to find like all those people with natural talent have been doing, whether consciously or subconsciously, you've just done it for a long time, you know? Like, like you don't have a baby pick up a paintbrush and just do amazing. It tends to be the kid that has a baby played with a paintbrush for, for two years, turns out when they're four can actually paint a picture. It wasn't talent, it was time. And, and that 10,000, that idea of like 10,000 hours to become an expert of anything, I think, I think that's true. That, that kind of feeds into this idea, right? It's just the more you do it, like yeah if i could say to my younger self anything it's just like make more you know what i mean make just just make more make more crap actually it would probably be what i would tell my younger self because my younger self would be like, i don't want to make crap but like, make more crap because the crap is actually going to get you there and will get you there a lot quicker that's what i would tell myself. that's great advice yeah. <laughs> make more crap that's my advice <laughs> <laughs> great way to end the podcast Sweet. <laughs> Scott, man, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, yeah. Are you on social media? Can people find you on Instagram? Hopefully not. I'm hiding. I'm hiding. Uh, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> no, really. Am I on social media? I've got like four posts in the last like century. It's uh, yeah. Am I on social media? I'm ish. And and you have another movie coming out. Uh, you're about to start shooting. Well, yeah. Weeks, you're op- optimistically telling me it's coming out. I haven't shot it yet, so let's see. But yeah, no, I'm I'm <laughs> shooting. I'm about to shoot a movie. So yeah. So I'll, I'll hopefully hopefully by the time you listen to this, it's I've finished that movie or. Oh, I haven't. In which case, like retrospectively, it's ironic that I'm talking about a movie I'm not doing. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. what's the name of the movie? Yeah, so it's called it's called Fall, and it's about the uh, and it revolves around the fear, uh, well, the fear of falling, the fear of heights. It's uh, yeah, two thousand uh, two thousand feet up, nowhere down. <laughs> Boom! Nice. Yeah, <laughs> that tagline's going to change, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be called something. It'll be called, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, you know, someone else will have directed it. I'll have been fired by that point. So, you know, so just enjoy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but um, hopefully. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. Um, great evening. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me at jefftthomas.com or at jefftthomas on Twitter and Instagram. Remember 19 media.